You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, episode 117. And tonight, we are covering whether or not it is you or your codex, or a combination of the two that is at fault for your quote-unquote bad codex. We also have a Tesseract mailbox where somebody asks me what the scariest moment of my life was, and uh, I answer Austin in that message, which is always fun. Get ready for a tale there. And we also have Want That or Want That Not, and it's a weird, it's a weird uh, Want That or Want That Not. We cover the Mega Gargant, and then we have a surprise twist at the end because we actually start talking about a completely different other product. But um, you, you get a conclusion whether or not we want or want that not, the Mega Gargant. What have I been up to this week? Well, first off, we are sponsored by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and beautiful playmats for 40k and Age of Sigmar. Uh, really for anything, but this is that type of podcast. And uh, thank you also to all of my beautiful uh, well-endowed Patreon patrons, and, um, you're all just so robust and, uh, beautiful. Thank you for supporting the show. So, this week at the club, I played a Highlander game against my friend, uh, Mr. Matt, and I won, like, 20 to 9 or something like that. Uh, 20 to 9, if that didn't come out right. And, um, it was a very close game, but points-wise, I just had him. And he played Necrons, and I don't even remember what I played. Oh, I busted out the Imperial Guard. Haven't played them in a long time, except for our solo campaign on uh, Patreon. And uh, it was very fun. It's uh, I got the Guard busted out and dusted off. I, I love Guard. I just have not played them in a long time. So that was fun. And uh, yes, the Necron Codex is beatable. Although, admittedly, we're playing Highlander, so he couldn't take multitudes of the same thing which is how things become cheesy. But we were doing some Shorehammer prep. And um, what else? Well, today we did a uh, paint day for Shorehammer Terrain. So we always buy new terrain every year to add to our pool of terrain. And uh, had Mr. Tim and Mr. Matt and Just James come over and everybody painted terrain with me. And it was fun. We ordered lunch and had donuts and all sorts of stuff. It was um, some good bro time. Haven't spoken, haven't done that yet in 2020. Have not had a paint day, so we finally did. And that's really about it. Um, I'm short on things that I've done this week. Of course, worked more on the Brutality Supplement and read an article and blah, blah, blah. Nothing that's super interesting for you to hear. So let's get on with the show because some of these segments are a bit longer than normal. So I don't want to keep you too long. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. And it's time for the Tesseract Mailbox. We have a letter from Austin today. He says, hey, pimp, just got the Epic War Planner, and I love it. I'm actually doing a solo campaign right now, and I like the environmental effects. Thank you for buying it, Austin. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And uh, he continues to write, on another note, I was listening to an interview the other day of someone on YouTube. The interviewer asked them, what is one of the scariest moments of their life? I thought that maybe you'd have something worth talking about as it seems to be an intriguing question. On another note, if you don't have an answer for that, what do you think of Idonath Deep King, and are they worth getting into? I've been eyeing the fishy boys for a long time now, and I think I'm about to pull the trigger. Stay safe, Austin. 
Well, Austin, uh, one of the scariest memories of my life is when I was trying to burn a couch uh, quite a while ago, and I had a hose and everything nearby, but it was not turned on, and come to find out that hose was actually kinked. So, uh, word to the wise, cushions on furniture uh, burns up extremely fast. I mean, extremely hot, extremely fast, to the point where... Uh, I was debating on calling the fire department because the flame was like 15 feet high off this couch at one point. And I tried to use the hose and I could not figure out why the hose wasn't working. And I mean, the whole couch went up in like two minutes, but it was 15 feet of flame in the air and it was extremely scary. I had just recently used the hose like a couple days before and I didn't know that it was kinked. It had worked perfectly fine but prior to that I knew the water was on and all that and the hose was only like 20 feet away but when that couch caught fire that was an extremely scary time I had to run inside and get buckets of water and all of that matter of fact it was burning so hot that um we had a concentric ring of grass catching fire around it now I don't I don't mean actually catching fire but like blacking blackening and uh smoldering and whatnot and it was a ring growing from the couch now we have um a place like a burn pit where we can burn stuff and it was right next to there so there's not like a whole lot of brush or anything like that but um and nothing else ended up catching fire except for the grass around it but it was super scary so if you're gonna burn any furniture it is um it's super important that you try your hose first and you do not burn it somewhere that you don't have water because um in my life, I've burned all sorts of dressers and wood and other stuff, and that insulation or that cushion stuffing is very, very flammable to the point where it's like an accelerant. It's like a fuel source. It is just, the fire is just coming out of it like a torch. So, uh, I mean, ultimately, we did figure out where the kink was, and we sprayed it down with water and all of that. So, I luckily... I did not have to call the the fire department, but uh, I'm glad I didn't because it burned up. I mean, it seemed like it was forever, this two minutes of an inferno raging from this couch, but it was probably like two minutes, and I feel like if I would have called 911 or whatever, they would have sent the fire department over, and then by the time that they got here, it would have been out or it would have been over. And, um, like I said, it burned very quickly, very extremely hot and very quickly. So I can see why people, especially like old people will fall asleep with a cigarette and the cigarette falls on the couch and then like burns their entire house down and, and kills them in a house fire because it, I have burned many things in my life in the, in the fire pit and that couch cushion material went up like I guess a Christmas tree. I don't know what the metaphor would be, but it went up so fast. It was incredibly, incredibly scary where to the point where I could foresee it, you know, catching things on. There wasn't really anything nearby, but there was a tree limb that hung over about maybe 20 feet in the air, maybe 25 feet in the air. It was quite high, but with flames reaching, you know, 10 or 15 feet in the air, I'm like, Oh God, this tree is going to catch on fire, which it, it didn't, but I was thinking it would. And um, it's going to catch other trees on fire and then I'm going to lose my house or whatever. Luckily, none of the neighbors called the fire department. None of the neighbors, you know, called 911. And luckily, I didn't need to call it because once again, it it 
burned very hot and very fast, but it was somewhat contained. I had to run around while it was burning and stamp out all the fire around it. It was just uh, a crazy, crazy time. Now, as far as Idana Thief can go to switch gears here on a more positive note, I really, really love that army. It is not an army that I actually play currently, but I could see myself getting into it one day. The models are in the new price range, so they are more expensive. It's not a cheap army to start, but they do have multiple units. I know a lot of their boxes make two different things, and that sea turtle, by golly, I love that sea turtle. I do not like to play against that sea turtle, because just James plays it, and uh, I do not like it. I think it gives everyone minus one to hit. All If you target a unit that's within like 12 inches of it, it gives them minus one to hit. Which is a real pain, needless to say. Also, I think something to the effect of you can only shoot the closest Idonath Deepkin unit. You can't choose ones past it, which my Caradron Overlords are not fans of. So, uh, it's one of those things that it is very characterful, if that's a word. It's got some really cool looking models. It's a really neat idea conceptually, you know, to actually have the tides come up, the magical tides and all that. I just... I really love everything about them. The only thing I haven't done is actually start that army. The good news is, is they don't seem like one of their more popular armies. So if you do get it, your gaming club, you will probably be the only person that has Idana Thiepkin. And I always like to be in that position. I play a lot of armies that nobody else in our group plays. So that is always a fun place to be. And you're adding more flavor and variety into your gaming group. Not to mention you're the only person that plays it. So that's that's exciting, at least. I have my friend Just James, and I have Ash in our group that play Idonath Deepkin. And there's so many painting opportunities you can do with it. Ash painted some eels, those eel riders, and oh my god, they're beautiful. He painted them like they were real-life eels, like, I don't know, Remora eels or whatever. And um, all the speckles and the stripes and the shading of the colors, it was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, just James has quite a bit of, uh, painting to do on his army. I think they're like primed and then some metal and some wash, but he hasn't done a whole lot. Now his turtle, just James's turtle looks really pretty. And that turtle, man, you could spend a week easily on that turtle as far as painting it, but it really does pay off. I mean, all the, the scales on the turtle and all that. Oh my gosh. That turtle is one of my very favorite models in Age of Sigmar, period. Not to mention the eel riders are cool and everybody else. And um, I've seen some really cool conversions with that one big character that has like a wave for a cape. And somebody made a vampire lord and that wave was blood. And uh, they, they used his body and everything. But they changed the head and painted the cape to be blood instead of water. And it was really cool looking. Um, I think just James said he's a pretty expensive character. He's like 60 bucks or something. He's like a... He's, he might be a named character, I don't know. Like I said, I don't play the army, but it is uh, it is definitely, definitely one of my favorite armies conceptually, and they've, they seriously pack some punch. I mean, I don't remember exactly what they do, but um, because it just James hasn't played them in a couple months, but it's I could definitely see myself eventually getting that army. So I would definitely say, if you are in the market for that army, dude, you know, knock yourself out. So, anyway, thank you for uh, buying the Epic War Planner, and thank you for checking out the podcast and asking me a weird question. Want that? 
or want that not. Hey everybody, it's time for Want That or Want That Not with the Pimpcron, and today we are covering a model that so many of you know and love. It is the Mega Gargant from Games Workshop, and it just came out. It's super sexy, it's super nude, and it's uh, it's pretty big. So, what exactly is this? Well, there's... I am going to have to speak in platitudes a little bit, because there's actually three variants. There's the crack Kraken Eater Mega Gargant, and there is... I'm waiting for my computer to load. The Gatebreaker Mega Gargant, and there's also the War Stomper Mega Gargant. So... I'll just have to say to begin with that I love the word Mega Gargant. I just like that. That's in my vernacular now, and I can use it whenever I want. <laughs> hey, honey, come look in the toilet. I I laid a real Mega Gargant. Anyway, um, no, we don't do that in my house. Anyway, so the Gatebreaker Mega Gargant uh, looks like he's got an Executioner's Cowl on, and all these Gargants are muscular yet kind of pudgy. You know how they have those pot bellies. And there's a lot of motion to all these. I'm going to go through them individually, and then there's kind of a quick twist ending to this whole segment. I'm not covering the rules, I'm just covering the models, because the rules are also pretty good for these things. They are a uh, basically an army unto themselves, and they're pretty pretty awesome in the game. The Gatebreaker Mega Gargant has essentially a chunk of concrete, or like a pillar, on a chain that he swings around. The other side of him has um, a big hand, his big hand is holding a small person, a normal sized person, and he's got the executioner's cowl on him, and he's very, very cool looking, covered in sorts of trinkets and shields and banners and all sorts of stuff you'd expect from a Gargant. Um, this specific one would be a want that for me. I like the Gatebreaker Gargant, uh, Mega Gargant, quite a bit. Now let's go on to the Kraken Eater Mega Gargant, Mega Gargant, Mega Gargant, I love that word, Mega Gargant. Sorry. The Mega Gargant Kraken Eater is also pretty interesting looking. He's got um, fishing nets on him. He definitely has a nautical theme. There are like an, a giant octopus tentacle strapped to his uh, belt. And he's got like a um, uh, Megalodon necklace where it's like the jaw of one of the massive sharks. And his club is like, looks to be a bunch of pylons and a bunch of stuff like strapped together. And he's got fishing net he's holding. And he's got a bunch of people in the fishing net. And once again, very, very cool looking. He's got a dead body hanging on him. It is, I mean, I think Games Workshop has done an amazing job with this whole thing. I really see nothing wrong with it except the $195 price tag. The Kraken Eater Mega Gargant would be really cool for, um, you know, your, ah, uh, I can't think of them now. The Cities of Sigmar people with the Hydras and all of that. What used to be Dark Elves, but uh, all the nautical-themed people, um, if you allied them in with your Idana Thiepkin or anything like that. Very, very cool looking. And these models are massive. They're about the size of an Imperial Knight, and... Uh, I would also say I want this Kraken Eater Mega Gargant. It's very cool looking model. I mean, they all have such motion to them. They all have, they're all walking while they turn and they're holding something and they're looking back or they're looking forward or they're twisted in a certain way. They're all very cool looking models. I can't say enough good about these sculpts. And I love that they're 
Gargants or their Mega Gargants for Games Workshop have a bit of a pot belly, and I mean they're obviously muscular because they're giants, but they are really sculpted to be kind of normally proportioned. They're not some super massive superhuman Hulk with uh, massive biceps and all that. They're kind of like you, what you'd imagine a real person might look like if they were a Mega Gargant. They've got a belly and they're you know, have a beard, and some of them are bald, and it's just, I find it to be extremely believable compared to some other giants I've seen in the past for other games. But, having said that, there is one more that we have to take a look at. I do want the Kraken Eater Mega Gargant. The next one is the War Stomper Mega Gargant, and I don't know, I really like the the nautical look of the one that we just did, the Kraken Eater, but I think my favorite is this War Stomper. Um, obviously, it's a want that. And the War Stomper is just, in general, he's got some arrows sticking out of him. He's got shields tied all around his forearms for bracers. And he's got one horn. And he looks very tribal. He looks like one of the um, Ravener hordes from Slaves to Darkness. He's got a tree trunk with a rock tied to it. And that's his club. And once again, has some really neat energy and motion to his model. I really am enjoying all these models, and like I said, they are very, very large models. Now, having said all this, the uh, $195 for this thing, I feel in my gut, is a bridge too far for me, honestly. I love the models, I think they did a great job on them, and Games Workshop is obviously a premier you know, premium priced product, but $195 is, that is just too much for me. I can't, can't really, uh, even look at this as an actual purchase. I'm not, I'm not going to spend $195 for this giant. Number one, I liken them, these Mega Gargans, to the Imperial Knights anyway. They feel to me like a Lord of War or a Super Heavy in 40k, and, um, I just don't see myself ever playing these, to be honest with you. I think they're 500 points or something alone, and I'm just not an allier to begin with. I'm not going to ally this dude into my Cities of Sigmar or ally whatever. I just don't ally. So I do not at all foresee myself buying these guys. They look awesome. I love them. If they were... Let me think of a reasonable price. If they were $125, awesome. If they were $145, mm, I might get one. If if I allied, I actually allied in, but I don't. Uh, $145, okay. Once you start getting to like $165, $175, $195, you're just pushing yourself farther and farther out of my price range. And I'm just not super interested in them. So as far as the actual look goes, yes, I want that. For all three of these. They all look beautiful. GW did a bang up job. As far as do I actually want these and will I use these in real life? No, I won't use them. And I certainly don't feel like paying $195. Now, I mentioned a twist at the beginning of this. And the twist of this is that Mantic Games, you know, the kid brother to Games Workshop, they have Kings of War and Dead Zone and all that. In typical Mantic Games fashion, they have for a long time had a giant that was out in the marketplace. You could buy this giant for years. It's been out. And lo and behold, if you do a price comparison, look online, Mega Gargant versus Mantic Giant. 
and they're nearly identically the same size. And you might go, well, Mantix Giant probably doesn't look as good, blah, blah, blah. All right, I will admit, Mantix Giant is... He, the detail is fine on him. And he has some optional... He's got two optional arms. He's got an optional pelt around his shoulders. He's got an optional head with a big long hair or bald. He's got some options to him. And he's got a big tree trunk for, tree trunk for a club and all of that. Um, he's slightly, compared to the Games Workshop attitude and character of their of their mega gargants he is just a scotch boring but do you know what the price is for the mantic giant the giant that's been out for years way before the mega gargants you have any price any idea 25 pounds british pounds 25 pounds what is that like 30 35 bucks us uh 35 fucking pounds for the same size giant. And I'm telling you right now, this has been out for a long time. Mantic could easily do something very similar to the Mega Gargans in terms of attitude, character, motion, and all of that. I mean, if you compare these, the Mega Gargans are beautiful. They look great. $195 compared to $35, give or take. That is just, to me... If I wanted to do a Mega Gargant and I was like, man, $195 is a lot. Well, guess what? You could buy, what, six of the Mantic ones for the same price? Six. I feel like it's a no-brainer, honestly. This started out as a want that, want that not for the Mega Gargant and come to find out it's a want that, want that not for the Mantic Giant. The Kings of War Mantic Giant is $35-ish US and it may be lacking just... You know, it's not lacking detail. I can't really say it's lacking detail. It's got all sorts of stuff strapped to him. He's got a banner for a loincloth and some shields and a bunch of stuff. So I cannot say it's a lack of detail. But what I can say is it's a lack of attitude. He's standing there. He's looking menacing. But there's no real motion to the model. He has one foot barely forward, so he looks like he might be walking very slowly. He's kind of strolling. Whereas if you look at all the... Games Workshop Mega Gargans, they all have this swagger to them. All this, and I kind of hate that word because it's really overused, but they literally do have a swagger, an attitude. Like this uh, War Stomper Mega Gargan, his feet are turned in just a little bit. He's pigeon toed, and it just gives this character to the model that I don't think the Mantic model has. Having said that, the GW models are a want that not for me in reality, despite me loving them, because of a hundred and ninety-five freaking dollar price tag. The Mantic Giant, on the other hand, thirty-five bucks. Hell yeah, I will definitely buy this Mantic Kings of War Giant in a heartbeat. I would buy two of them. Matter of fact, if I could figure it out, what you do is you go online. Everybody's selling their bits for the Mega Gargant anyway, right? They, uh, because they have the three different variations in one box. So everyone builds the one they want. And then with a lot of green stuff, you can usually get another Mega Gargant out. Like you have to green stuff the thighs and the tops of the arms and the torso and a bunch of stuff. Personally, I don't feel like that's worth it. If you really want a penny pinch, whatever. But what I would do is I would go on eBay and I would get the bits for one of the Mega Gargants that you like. And somebody has already made some other variant and is just selling the bits. Then you buy the Mantic Giant. And just replace his arms, or replace some of the bits on him, or whatever, and just give him a little bit of that, um, like I said, swagger 
compared to the um the GW one. Now the other two arms I didn't mention just yet is um I actually think I like there's one where he's standing there kind of chilling like he's menacingly standing there and he's holding a tree trunk and the other arm is just empty. And uh he's you know bald and he's um grimacing. He looks very threatening. The other version of the Mantic Giant is that his arm is raised with a giant like bone axe and he has essentially like a I think it's a door to a house as a shield on his other arm. And he's got long hair and things like that. Personally, I like the first one. I like the menacing one with the tree trunk versus the shield and the axe. But whatever. So I am willing to bet, no lie, for $35 Mantic, you could buy this giant. And if you wanted to sass him up at all, you buy some bits from a Mega Gargant, swap out some arms or whatever. It would be very easy to do. They're almost identically the same size. To the point where I almost feel like Games Workshop had to intentionally do that. Because to be like literal millimeters apart in height, I don't know how you accidentally do that. I mean, maybe. But anyway, so the Mantic Kings of War Giant, fuck this, I will buy it now. Like, I will buy that right now. Because even though I don't want to necessarily do it, the price point is so low for the Kings of War Giant. Uh... Like, you almost, why wouldn't you just buy it? And if you ever feel like at 35 bucks, I mean, you spend $35 on coffee in a week. I mean, you could spend $35 on this Mantic Giant. And uh, I would definitely do that. And honestly, if I were to buy it, I, I personally would not buy the bits to make it into a Mega Gargant. I would just keep it the way it is because the detail on it looks just peachy keen. He just misses that. It's almost like one of those performance shows, you know, where you got two people that sing or they dance or whatever, very similarly. They're both really good, let's say singers. They're two people, really good singers, and it's some sort of competition. But one person just really owns the floor. You know, the whole stage is their playground. They're putting on a show. They interact with the audience and all that. They've got some heart in it. And the other singer is equally equipped to sing well. But they're a little frigid. They don't, you know, put on a show. I feel like this is the case with the Mantic Giant and the Games Workshop Giant. But good God, if the person that maybe doesn't dance a whole lot on the stage was one-sixth, that's like 18% or something, was 18% of the cost of hiring the person that hams it up on stage, guess who I'm going to hire? I mean, that's a no-brainer. So, ultimately... As much as I love the Mega Gargans, that is a want that not for me. And it is a want that seriously for the Kings of War Giant. So go check that out. Mantic, actually, they used to have subpar sculpts. But over the years, they've gotten much, much higher quality sculpts. And everything they do is at least 50% of what GW is price-wise. So you definitely, what you might sacrifice just a teeny, teeny bit in detail, you are making up in your wallet. So if you want to save some money, go ahead and buy Semantic stuff because it's, it's boy, it's so close to GW quality, but not quite there. But when you charge half the price, then, I mean, you get people like me that are like, I don't care about name brands. So go get the Mantic Giant. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. 
Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and I am back this week to explain a touchy subject and bring some cold, hard truth down on you like an enraged glacier. This is Titanic number two, kids. So, what is it about, quote-unquote, bad armies and units? First off, I'm not here to say that you complaining about your army is unfounded at all. There is serious power gap between the different codexes. There always have been. There always will be. And this game is not balanced at all. I'm not here to say that all of this isn't GW's fault, um, but ultimately, the community of gamers that you play in makes all the difference in whether or not an army is playable or it's not. If you play Tyranid monstrous creatures in a artillery-heavy group or... Um, it used to be like uh, grav weapons. I don't even know what they do now, but grav weapons used to be the bane of monsters because I think they wounded on the save or something like that. But um, you're not going to have a good time. If you play hordes and all your opponent has is punisher tanks, you're not going to have a good time. So this is not just GW not balancing stuff. It's not just that the game isn't balanced. It's not just that there's a meta between the different codexes. It's not just you being a bad player. It is also who you play with in your community. If you're used to playing in a hyper-competitive environment, then it's obvious that some armies will shine out over others. If you are used to playing your army in a certain way, and then the metaphor it changes with a new codex, you're going to be mad because you can't effectively play them the way that you want or the way that you were used to. So when people bemoan the Chaos Space Marines codex or the Tyranid codex, they usually aren't actually saying that their codex sucks just that it doesn't perform in their environment with the people they play with, or it doesn't perform in the way they want it to. That's like saying that butcher knives are terrible weapons. Well, when compared to swords, sure, they're terrible weapons, but compared to fists, hey, you know what? Butcher's knives aren't that bad at all. We tend to be lazy with our speech and label things with broad strokes. I am one of the worst people about that. Instead of saying, I feel like many of the Chaos Space Marine units need their points adjusted to better match with the other books, or the stratagems need to be tweaked, or the chaos marks need to be revamped so they actually do something. Instead of saying that, we go, oh, the chaos space marines are unplayable, they're a bad army, you should feel bad for playing them. So why don't I have a problem with quote-unquote bad armies? Well, for starters, kind of the elephant in the room, I'm a superior being. You don't get this sweet living metal body by being a dunce. But besides that, the reason why I win games with my Orcs, or my Cast Space Marines, or my Nids, or my Dark Eldar is because I play casual games. Only in a competitive setting does the real cheese come out, and the huge power gap in, in between the codexes really appear. In casual games is where 40k shines, and you can bring fun and fluffy armies and still win games. Because you're not up against the uber-uber, super-tooled, mid-maxed list bullshit. It's funny because a while back, um, just James and I teamed up our nids against uh, friends cast space marines with demon allies, and we just brought fun stuff. It was no big deal, and our opponent took some really, really competitive stuff, and um, we both, just James and I, just laughed at our list, which was quite gene stealer and lictor heavy, and uh, we said, there's no way we're winning this, but, you know, we're going to have fun, we're going to do our best. Lo and behold, we won that game. And I have another friend that actually won two local tournaments with Dark Eldar. So there's definitely ways to do it. It may not be the most competitive or it may not be the easiest to do, but you can win games. Um, 
I just recently won two Highlander games, practice games against people, and I literally just threw my list together. And, oh, you know what? No, one of them, I rolled real shit. I actually discussed that on the podcast. I lost 17 to 15, but the first two turns of my game out of four turns for the tournament game, uh, I did, like, one wound or something like that. Like, I did absolute garbage. So, um, if I hadn't rolled so terribly with my 12 exocrine shots, I, uh, I definitely would have won that because I was only two points down. But, um, anyway, you know, on the other hand, maybe it is you if you think about that. I've had a couple of players tell me that, you know, insert army here is bad and unplayable, but I know from experience that those players are not the best at strategy. It's something you don't really want to tell your friends, but sometimes it's the elephant in the room in your gaming group. No offense to them at all, but a couple of them in particular I've known for a while, and they always seem to uh, jump from, you know, cheesy thing to cheesy thing to cheesy thing, and um, it's really, it's whatever fills the gaps in their abilities is what they use. And uh, these are the people that have a bunch of different armies, and they always play a bunch of different armies. Whatever is the best at the time is what they play. And, um, I mean, it really, that's, once again, I talked about the natural synergy and the, um, intentional synergy last week, and everyone is different, and there's no shame in being a less able tactician. So, if you need, some players need that sort of cheese to be, to, to have the edge in their tactics. And obviously, this doesn't mean that all people who complain about army power levels are just bad at strategy. I'm not saying that either. But in the cases I've seen in my personal life, occasionally, sometimes that is the case. Somebody can just be not good at strategy and like, I don't understand why I lose. I play the competitive stuff. Well, it's because you're not that great at strategy. And uh, of course, I don't tell them that. <laughs> Hopefully they don't listen to the podcast. I don't know. But I, di- I didn't name names. But sometimes it is you and it's not the army. I have ran into this with my demons. I've never had much trouble using armies in the past. But it, when it came to demons, when I tried to play demons, it just did not seem to gel with me. So what did I do? Well, this was years ago, but after losing game after game after game with them, I decided to just throw them away. No, I'm kidding. I kept playing them is what I did. I must have lost my first eight games before I started figuring out how to use them in my local meta. And I feel like most people could do that too if they tried at it. These army books are static and inanimate objects. They can't change until a new one comes out. So what can be changed? Well, the way you use them can be changed. It turns out that the way I wanted to use them at first just didn't work out very well when I tried my demons. So I kept changing tactics until I found a way to use them in a way that I could wrap my head around. Because for some reason, that particular army just, it just, it's weird how some armies will click with you and some won't. Um, I could have just thrown the book to the ground and screamed and cried and sold my army and been bitter about how quote-unquote unplayable Demon's Army is and blah blah blah, but I was the problem all along. Of course, it would have been great if army books could be effective in any build, but unfortunately that's not the nature of the game right now, and really, I'm going to say it never has been. But the funny thing is, struggling with playing demons isn't a personal failure on my part because I struggled with them, and neither is struggling with your army or or anything like that. That's not a failure of yours. Some armies appeal more to us in theory than our abilities to use them on the battlefield can handle. And some people, you know, you're like, oh, I like shooting so much. Let me try a demon's army. Well, wait a second. Minus of a few key units, demons don't really shoot. So you're, it may not match your play style. In the end, 
I have kind of figured out how to play them and probably win mm, 40 to 50% of my games. I mean, it's demons are in a bit of a rough spot right now, but marginal success did not come from quitting or blaming the book. On the other hand, if you really can't figure out any army, maybe it isn't for you and you should try another one. Like if you try demons and you really just can't, it's so weird. It's such a mercurial thing because some people don't have the skills to learn and they don't have the skills to adapt to new strategies or new books. That's fine. Some people do have the skills, but don't have the discipline to keep trying. And that's also fine. And there's other people that just take right to something right away. And that's also fine. There really is no wrong way to do this unless you're being a dickhead about it. So, um, it's funny because on the other hand, the complaints about army books not being balanced are valid complaints, but mostly in competitive settings. I don't really see how um, the imbalance among the codexes is, is really too big of an issue in casual games. And um, now the the difference is, is when you're playing someone who's super competitive and you want a casual game, that's a whole nother thing where the two players don't communicate what type of game they're going to have. Like the other week I had a, a game with my buddy Jay and he's very competitive and I'm not, but we decided, hey, let's be very competitive. And it was a great game. Now, if I would have ran in there, you know, just trying to throw some dice and eat some pretzels and drink beer, well, then that would have been, <laughs> you're going to have a bad time if you guys are not on the same page. But that's a whole nother story. So in conclusion, the book might be weaker than others. You're right. The game is certainly not balanced. You're right. But there's only one of two things you can do. Either you change because the book can't change itself, or you get rid of it and try something different that suits your your uh, abilities better. Certainly, some armies are more point and click and very obvious to use. Other ones have subtlety. Like, I feel like my Gene Stealer Cult and my Dark Eldar need a lot more subtlety than, let's say, Space Marines or Necrons, you know? And uh, I think that just goes without saying. I think that's just the, the truth of the matter. There's really no getting around it. So... Don't feel bad. Just keep trying or give up. Isn't that kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird suggestion. But uh, I feel like most people are capable mentally of if you just try different things. The problem is, is people are upset when they can't play things the way they want to. I had a friend that used to get mad because he used to love running tons of orcs and all that. And in previous editions, he'd get mad because they just didn't perform the way he wanted them to. Now, Massive Orcs now would probably work better, but back then they didn't, and he was used to running Massive Orcs, and then the addition changes, or you get a new codex, and it's just not the same. And he was all upset about it, and I mean, I don't blame him, but guess what? If you want to play this army, then Pooper get off the pot, right? All right, well, that is it for this week. Uh, remember the code EVENT10 at GameMat.eu for 10% off your order. It's all caps EVENT and then 10 and thank you so much to GameMat.eu and all of my Patreon patrons for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate it, and you allow me to do what I love, which is ramble alone for you to hear it later.